The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, Pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. This is Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church and director of the March Design broadcast. Please stay tuned for a message of salvation by grace. It's my great blessing and privilege to be able to speak to you in this way. We're so thankful for the radio stations that allow us to continue to broadcast. And we're so very thankful for you, our listeners. It's so encouraging to hear from you. If you're a first-time listener, we hope that you'll feel burdened to join us each week at this same time. And if you're a returning listener, we want to encourage you to continue to join in with us each Sunday morning. I would love to hear from you. It's very easy to communicate by email. My email address is tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. That's tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. We invite you to come and worship with us at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church anytime that you can. We meet each Sunday morning at 1030 and on the second and fourth Wednesday nights at six o'clock. Also, I would like to remind you of the new hymnal that we have released at the end of December. It's called Songs of Zion, and you can check that out at SOZHymnal.org. We would love for you to take a look at that. It's a 78 hymn songbook, and we rejoice in the songs that are in there. Many of the songs in there are written by local writers that you may know. So we encourage you to take a look at that at sozhymnal.org. We're going to hear a song and then bring to you a message from the Word of God.
I want to speak to you this morning about the basics of Bible doctrine. It's very common today. You may hear people say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I want you to know that that's not a verse of Scripture. It's not found in the Bible. And the Lord is definitely concerned with what we believe. In other words, if what we believe is in contradiction with what the Scripture teaches, then we need to adjust our thinking. Because if you believe that the Scripture is the inspired Word of God, then it behooves us to make sure that our thinking is the same as what God reveals is His thinking. So I want to speak about the basics. This is not stuff that's heady and high-minded, and this is not for what one might refer to as a mature Christian. And of course, I, I wonder what that even means nowadays. But this is the basics. This is the first things that we should share with God's children. These are the first messages. We can see from the scripture, the pattern in the book of Acts, where the apostle Paul, in Acts the 20th chapter, he describes the manner in which he shared the truth, the basics, with the people that he encountered. You can read in Acts 20 how he did that. It was very simple, it was very methodic, and it was very repetitive because they had never heard these things before and they needed to hear them again and again. And you may ask, well, what did he share with them? What did he say to them? In Acts 20, you can see the manner in which he shared those things. And in Ephesians, the first chapter, and other letters that he wrote, you can hear him refer back to the very exact things that he shared, the basics. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, that subject there is, is too heady, it's too high-minded, you got to learn that later on down the road. Well, I want to speak the basics to you, the very first things. Now, what I'm about to share with you, there are those that would say, well, no, those are deeper things that you can only learn as time goes by. No, these are the basics in Romans 8 and verse 28. Now, how many times have we heard Romans 8 and 28 quoted in terms of when there was a tragedy or when something horrible happened and somebody will get up at a funeral or they'll just try to comfort someone and say, oh, well, listen, we don't exactly know why this happened or how it happened. But Romans 8, 28 says we know that all things work together for good. So just keep on loving God and you're going to find God's intricate design and in all of this tragedy and all this mess that happened. Well, the truth of the matter is that that is not anywhere near the context of Romans 8 and 28. What I do want to speak to you about this morning is the true context of Romans 8, 28, which involves the basics. I want you to think about this. This in Romans 8, 28, 29, 30, and on down is what the Holy Ghost intended for us to know the most important information that we could gain whenever we are dealing with the difficulties of this life. And it is not telling us to try to figure out what's going on around me whenever tragedy strikes or when tough times come. No, it is pointing away from that. It is the opposite of that. It is pointing up very, very high into the sky, into the heavens, into the Lord's heaven itself, where he reveals to us some things that he has done for us that point us away from the tragedy, away from the trial. Isn't that good news? He's not trying to tell us to look into the tragedy and figure out what's going on there. He's pointing us away from that because he understands in our hearts, in our difficulties, that we need good information. We need good news from a far country. And here the Holy Spirit reveals the best news that we can have. And I'm sad to say that this news is so little known today that there are many that would hear this message and say, oh, wait a minute, 
well, we can't deal with that on the front end. That's something you have to learn way on the back end. When you become a mature Christian, oh, this is as simple for a child to understand. And if all you've ever heard is that Romans eight twenty eight is how God is telling you there's some way he's working through some horrible tragedy that's come upon you, then I'm happy to share the truth of that verse with you this morning. And this is it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What are those things that are working together for good? He goes on in the proper English here, accurate English, says in verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So you see the common English context, you can ask any English teacher, the way that this fits, the way that the context is, the things that he says in verse 28 that work together for our good are referring to him foreknowing us, him predestinating us, him calling us, him justifying us, and him glorifying us. And that's why he wraps it up in verse 31 and says, what shall we say then to these things? God is for us in foreknowing us, in predestinating us, in calling us, in justifying us, in glorifying us. And that looks away from the tragedy. It does not call us to try to figure out what is going on in the intricate details and facts and circumstances surrounding a tragedy. Now listen, at the same time, we must understand these verses do not negate the providence of God. The providence of God is in our lives. It's just that this is not the verse for the providence of God whenever we're dealing with things in this life. There are many verses that deal with that where God is with us. He says, am I God at hand and not a God afar off? Of course he's at hand. There are many providence verses that we have in the Word of God, but it's just that this verse right here, this set of verses, 28, 29, and 30, and 31, doesn't have anything to do with what is happening to us. As a matter of fact, if you'll read the whole chapter there, Romans 8, you'll find that in verse 18, a shift begins in this chapter, and he begins to talk about the sufferings of this present life, and he says they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, and he talks about how difficult this life is. We don't even know what to pray for as we ought sometimes, and the information that we need when we don't know what to pray for, and when we can't figure out what's going on around us, and we can't figure out what happened here or why this tragedy came, he says the information that you need to know in those moments looks far away from anything that you're dealing with here on this earth. And it goes back before the foundation of the world when the Lord determined to know a people and to set his love on them. And that love will transcend anything that happens in this life. And it will carry you through this life if you'll focus on it. But sadly, there are those that would say, well, that's not the basics now. That's just too difficult to understand. Listen, just because you've never heard of something before does not mean that it's not the basics. Maybe it's something that has been left off for years and years. As a matter of fact, I've said many times that you'll often hear Romans eight twenty eight referred to, but have you heard verses 29, 30, and 31 referred to? Because that's the context of Romans eight twenty eight. The things that God is doing for us that transcend this world, that go back before the world was even formed. That's what God wants us to know. It's the basics. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, by the way, here in Romans 8, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, it's the same thing that he shared with those that he preached to in the book of Acts. The church at Ephesus, the people in the city of Ephesus, the people in the city of Colossia, the people in the city of Thyatira, the people in the cities that he went to the people of Macedonia, the people in the areas where he traveled to, Athens, Greece, the different places, eventually even Rome. The basics that he shared was this right here. You see, we don't want to overlook that because if you've never heard the basics, then 
That's the foundation that we're to be built upon. Ephesians 2 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And if Jesus said it, I want to believe it, don't you? So regardless of whether we've heard it before or not, we want to embrace this as the truth of the Scripture. It's not heady. It's not high-minded. It may be different than what someone has heard before, but it's still the basics. A child can understand these truths. So as we consider these five things that God has done for us, the first question to ask is, why did he have to do these things? Why is it not like the way that people have been told for over a century now, well, you've got to accept Christ. You've got to do something. You see, the emphasis most of the time today we hear is on the sinner. Sinner friend, you've got to do this. You've got to make a choice. You've got to let him in. It sounds like the sinner is more powerful than God. You know, the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, sinner friend, and he wants he can't get in without you letting him in. We've spoken about Revelations 3 and 20 before, where that verse is taken from, taken out of context, where somebody says, see, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. No, that Revelations 3 and 20 says he's knocking on the door of the church, because the reference there is to churches, the seven churches of Asia. He's not knocking on the door of a heart trying to get in. That church had left out Jesus. Could that be our case today? Many times the churches have left out Jesus. Imagine Jesus knocking on the door of a church trying to get in, and he can't even get in the church. I want to tell you, child of God, the one that spoke the world into the existence by the power of his voice, and the one that bled and died on the cross and resurrected himself by his own mighty power, he does not need permission to come into a little flimsy heart of mine or of yours. He has the power to create a world. He has the power to create the universe and the worlds of the universes. He doesn't need permission to come into our heart. But that's what many people are told throughout their whole life. He's got to get in by you doing something. And yet the scripture teaches us that he comes in of his own accord, of his own choice, of his own will when he chooses to. But why does it have to be that way? That's so important. If we can get down this basic principle of why God has to do it that way, why he is the one that must foreknow his children and must set their destination, and he is the one that must enter their heart, call them in the new birth. He is the one that had to justify them on the cross, and he is the one that will speak one day in glorious words of power and bring forth the resurrection and bring all those out of the grave. Why does it have to be that way? Why can we not do that ourselves? Why can we not save ourselves? And it's because of the basic teaching of the Scripture that all men that descend from Adam— All people that descend from Adam are sinners lost in sin. It's so important that we get that basic down. Because if we can see that all died in Adam when Adam sinned, then we'll see easily how it can only be God that makes the choice, that enters the heart, that paid for the sins on the cross, that will call one day and bring those bodies out of the grave. When we see the depravity of man... Surely it points us to the truths that are given here that he foreknew us, he predestinated us, he called us, he justified us, he's going to glorify us one day. These are the things that God wants us to know. These are the basics. So let's consider the depravity of man. What is depravity? It means that all men are created equal. You've heard that before. It's contained in our Constitution. And that's correct. And we are all equally in sin when we are born into this world, when we're conceived. We are in sin. Why? Because we descend from Adam. Now, of course, this is a reference over to Genesis, the third chapter, where the Lord had told Adam, there's one tree in the garden that you cannot eat of. 
You can eat of all these other trees. There were thousands of trees in the garden. There were thousands of fruit on those thousands of trees. And they could eat as they saw fit. The Lord just said, I've got one rule. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. What that means there is dying you shall die. So you will be severed on the day that you eat thereof. You'll die to fellowship with God, and then eventually you'll physically die. Dying you shall die. That's what it means. And, of course, you're very familiar with the account there, the basics where Eve was tempted by the serpent, and she was deceived, and she ate, and she gave some to Adam, who was not deceived. It was totally Adam's responsibility. And whenever Adam partook of the fruit, they knew that they were naked. They sowed fig leaves. They hid themselves. The Lord came and addressed them. He already knew what had happened. Thank goodness the Lord knew what was coming. So he had something in place to prevent us from being separated from him forever. And so when the Lord comes on the scene, he pronounces that first prophecy there where he says that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And there is no seed of the woman outside of some kind of supernatural intervention because the seed comes from the man. And the Lord says the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, which was a reference to the Virgin Mary one day who would conceive by the Holy Ghost and the Son of God would become flesh and he would pay for the sins of his people as the perfect sacrifice. But here we find the reason why God had to make the moves that he did. And the reason why the information, the basics that God wants us to know, transcends even the existence of the world. He put something in place. He purposed something before the world was even formed to take care of us. Because he saw down through the ages of time and down through Adam's sin in the garden that we would never come to him. You see, Adam was innocent. He was innocent. He was not tainted with sin. He was the best that man had to offer. He was the federal head of all mankind. That's why it's so important that we don't fall for the nonsense, for the theory of evolution, because you know what? Evolution gets around Adam in the garden. And if you can get around Adam in the garden, then the idea is that you can get around the judgment of God. You see, that's the basic underlying root of it all. But we can't get around Adam in the garden because that's where we come from. In Adam's sin, we all fell And mankind was thrust into sin. Everyone that was conceived from that point on came from Adam and Eve, and they were born into sin. Psalms 14, the Lord rehearses this. He says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Now watch this. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. Through all of time, through all generations, through all ages, he looked down from the days of Adam all the way to the last day where man would be on this earth. And yes, there is coming a last day. It's nothing to fear for the child of God. But he looked down upon the children of men to see what? Were there any that would understand God? Were there any that would seek God? And the conclusion that he came to, because he's all wise, all knowing, and nothing is hidden from him. He said, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. As if that wasn't enough. In Psalm 53, he basically repeats the same thing where he says this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they. They have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. And he says over the, in Psalms 14, he says, all of them are gone back, gone astray. And here he says, every one of them has gone back. So that means 
not only collectively has mankind gone back and would not seek God, but individually, not just generally mankind, but specifically individually, you, me, all of mankind will not seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Someone might say, well, that's Old Testament. You know, it doesn't really apply nowadays. That's Old Testament, right? You know, we don't have to be under the Old Testament. And surely there were some good folks born in the New Testament. Well, in Romans, the third chapter, the Apostle Paul invokes the Old Testament, Psalms 14 and Psalms 53. And he says in Romans 3, in verse 9, he says, What then? Are we, the Jews, better than anybody else? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin, as it is written. And this is Psalm 14, this is Psalm 53. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. What this is saying is there's nobody that would accept Christ if they were dead in their sins, if they had Adam's nature, if they descended from Adam and nothing had been done to them, they had not been touched by the Spirit, they will not accept Christ unless God does something to them first in their nature without God in the equation, without God in their heart already, they will not seek God, they will not accept Christ, they will not pray to God, they will not pray the sinner's prayer, they will not do anything to come to Him. The Apostle Paul invokes the Old Testament and says across the board, without exception, all mankind, they're all together out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. And then he goes on even further and quotes some more Psalms in the Old Testament. He says their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace Have they not known? There's no fear of God before their eyes. This sounds pitiful, doesn't it? Well, this totally debunks the idea, well, there's a little bit of good in man. (laughs) I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul didn't believe that. Without God entering into the heart of any man, there is no good in man. He says they are corrupt. And look at the terrible description that's given here. There's not a little bit of good in everyone. So you see, he says here, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Man and his nature will not come to God, will not seek God, will not accept Christ, will not pray to God. So you see, we were in a terrible condition. We have to understand the basics of total depravity before we can ever even appreciate the things that God is working together for our good, the foreknowing, the predestinating, the calling, the justifying, the glorifying. If we don't see that all mankind is totally depraved, that everyone that descends from Adam has no hope, and they weren't even looking for hope. They didn't even know that they didn't have any hope because they had nothing within them to tell them that you need hope. You see, they're dead in sins. Ephesians, the second chapter in the first verse, describes it like this, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. These are the basics. These are the first things that were taught to God's people. As I referred to earlier, Acts the 20th chapter details how the Apostle Paul, he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. Now, specifically, he's talking to the folks at Ephesus because the preachers or the teachers there at the church at Ephesus had come down to speak with the Apostle Paul as he was about to go out of town by ship. And he says, I didn't keep anything back from you. He says, I taught you the whole counsel of God, verse 27. And he also says that by the space of three years, I warned you night and day. And he says in verse 35, I've showed you all things. Do you think there's anything that the Apostle Paul didn't cover? Do you think there's any basic teaching that he didn't cover? I'm telling you, there's nothing that he didn't cover. 
And you say, well, I still, I'm not quite convinced exactly what that was. Well, we have the book of Ephesians to tell you exactly the basics that he covered. Ephesians, the first chapter, the apostle Paul writes back and tells them, do you remember when I was there with you? You remember the basics that I taught you? And here's the basics. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1 and 4, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That's a basic. It's not heady. It's not high-minded. It's not something difficult to understand. It may be difficult to accept for those that have been taught something totally different their whole life. But here the Apostle Paul says, don't you remember what I taught you? I taught you that you were chosen, that you were foreknown, that you were predestinated under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Did you know that Ephesians, the first chapter, is basically a little bit longer restatement of Romans 8, 29, 30, and 31? It's just a little more detail than Romans 8 and 29. He says the same thing, the same basic five things that God has done for us here in Ephesians, the first chapter, that is listed in Romans 8 and 29 and 30. Oh, child of God, these are the basics. They're not heady. They're not high-minded. If we'll study our Bibles, we'll just see that these are the basics that God wants us to know. So instead of flipping out one-verse theology and saying, well, here's Romans 8, 28, or here's John 3, 16, let's don't just take one verse and lift it out. Let's see the whole context. Let's learn the basics. And let's get away from the idea that, oh, this is something that only these heady and high-minded Christians and Mature disciples can understand. No, this is for a child to understand. And in my years in the ministry, I have seen children that grasp this sometimes better than the adults did because they'd never been taught anything different. So let's embrace the basics. Let's rejoice in the basics that God has here for us. And let's see that the reason that God had to foreknow and predestinate and call and justify and glorify is because of the condition that we were in. And when we see the condition of dead and sins that we were in, we can totally understand why he had to make these moves, why he had to purpose to do these things. And may God be glorified for raising us up from deadness and giving us life so that we won't be separated from him. We'll be with him forever. May God be praised. been listening to the march to zion broadcast for more information contact 205-364-1396 or write to the march to zion broadcast p.o box 270 Carrollton, alabama 35447 bethlehem primitive baptist church is located seven miles east of gordo and 10 miles west of northport just off highway 82 on the boyd road near ecola services are each sunday at 10 30 a.m and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace.